want to say a special welcome to all of you in our sanctuary right now and for gathering and lifting up your hearts and your voices and your prayers together. And that the voices of this room gather with all of the people that are watching online right now and participating in worship in that way. Many of whom because they cannot come to church, many of whom because they don't live in this area. And one of the things that I want to put on all of our radars right now that you may not be aware of, but as you gather to worship this morning, we gather as a global community. And what I mean by that is that nearly every week in our Peachtree broadcast and sharing and worship together, nearly every week we have people from Haiti and we have people from Pakistan who are watching and participating with us every single week. And so as you lift up your prayers for Afghanistan and for Haiti, you are joined with people right now who are in the midst of that crisis. That this is not just some sort of news reality for us. And so for those of you from Haiti, from Pakistan, and those places where God seems to be absent, I want to tell you that we see you, and more importantly, that God sees you, and that God knows you're here. We're in the midst of a series of messages where we're walking through the book of Acts, and we're talking about how at the book of Acts, for 40 days, Jesus spent time after he was raised from the dead, 40 days with the disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, and that when you fast forward to the end of the book of Acts, you see that the apostle Paul is before King Caesar telling Caesar about the kingdom of God. In other words, this is the most important topic that Jesus most regularly preached. It's at the heart of the prayer that we say daily or weekly together, thy kingdom come. And so in order to be able to understand and participate in what God is doing in the world, we need to understand all of these different facets of the kingdom and how that prayer actually gets answered, that there's kingdom witness and spirit and power and courage, kingdom threats, kingdom inclusion, kingdom reversal, kingdom vision, kingdom prayers, and kingdom expansion. Last week, we talked about kingdom witness, that you and I are not called to be the judge and the jury and the defense attorney and the prosecuting attorneys. We're called to give witness to the ever-expanding, beautiful nature of God's loving kingdom in the world. And today, we're going to talk about how we can help to do that by sharing in kingdom spirit. And so I want to begin with a story. I was 14 years old, and one of the activities when I was growing up that I was heavily invested in and involved in was Boy Scouts. And because I was a Boy Scout, we regularly went on all of these different camping trips, you know, probably something like once a month, we'd go off and we'd go camping together somewhere in Central Texas. On this one particular occasion, we were at a camp, kind of, kind of campground area that we didn't know very well because we were on somebody's piece of property that we didn't know very well. Somehow our scout master had gotten together with a friend who had a ranch, and so we're on that ranch. It was Saturday morning, I think it was around 9 or 10 o'clock in the morning when we're out just kind of exploring and hiking and, you know, just doing all kinds of things that boys do when they're not in the city and not connected to their gadgets. And as we're out there, we discover and we watch our scoutmaster's truck leave the property. Apparently, he needed to go get some supplies. Immediately, one of the Boy Scouts turned to me and said, I thought he'd never leave. Guess what I brought? And he pulled out of his backpack a stack of big old bottle rocket fireworks. And he's like, let's go. 
And so the first one he puts into the ground, he lights it, it shoots up into the sky and boom, explodes in light and sound. And you could hear that sound echo throughout kind of the canyon walls of the creek that was in that area. We were all like, whoa, that was so cool. Do it again, do it again. And he does it again. He puts it into the ground, lights it. It goes up in the air and it flips around, sputters, comes back at us and headed straight back towards us, hits the ground as we're diving and running out of the way, falls into some really dry bush and grass, explodes, and we're like, wow, that's really cool. And then there's a second explosion as I had my first burning bush experience. And I'm watching this thing grow by the moment. It happened to be a windy and breezy day, and before you knew it, that fire that started in that grass and that bush was over six feet tall. We were racing down to the creek, and we were trying to find some buckets, anything, cups, to try to do anything, but there was nothing that we could do about it. We just kept having to back up and back up, and we watched this fire get bigger and bigger And then we saw the tires and the dirt road of our scoutmaster coming back, and we thought, we are so dead. Not by fire, but he's going to murder us. When he gets back, he helps us to see that the fire is going to be contained just naturally by the land. And sure enough, eventually, after a couple of hours, it went down. The owner of the land thought, It was funny and decided not to punish us. The scoutmaster realized he probably should never have left us alone and probably hasn't told even our parents, mom and dad, if you're listening to this right now, I'm so sorry. (laughs) But here's the reason I tell you that story. My only experience with fire up to that point, my only experience with open flame had been in a very contained campfire. It had only been in the confines of a little circle with rocks around it and some dirt. And all of a sudden, I got a a taste of what fire was really like, that it was wild, that it was free. And if you weren't careful, you wouldn't know what to do. The two primary images of God's presence for the ancient people of Israel were fire and wind. The burning bush from Moses. The burning flame walking through the covenant promise of Abraham. The pillar of fire by night. The wind of God's breath, God's spirit, the ruach in Hebrew. It was there from the very beginning of the dawn of creation. Wind and fire. And what we're about to discover and what we refer to as Pentecost, God's spirit, God's wind, God's flame, is not tame and it can't be contained. Let's look at this famous story together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. 
because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean indeed? It's good to know that they were just as confused as we are when we read this today. Pentecost is known as the birth or the birthday of the church, the explosion of the church. And what we know, what happened, what changed forever in that hinge of history was that the Holy Spirit was given to the church that day. And so today, I want to address what changed at Pentecost. I want to talk about what difference does the Holy Spirit make. Because of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that changes is that information becomes presence. That information becomes presence. Our oldest daughter, Danica, is a senior in high school this year, and earlier this week, there was a mandatory meeting at her school of both parents and seniors. It was a mandatory college informational meeting. And so I show up there, my daughter Danica's next to me, and we and a couple hundred people get together, and we are prepared for what they are going to prepare us for her to be able to go to college. 15 minutes into this presentation, they haven't said anything of interest or substance yet. They are boring these students to death. And I wanted to get up there and grab the microphone and say, it's college. It's college where where friendships are first form. It's college where you get to experience things for the first time. It's college where you were out of the nest and you were getting to live on your own and getting to meet all kinds of new and different kind of people. It's college where you're getting to learn and expand and that your job is to be able to grow and to figure out what your convictions and your values are so that you might be able to dedicate the rest of your life to making some kind of contribution to the world. It is college where you get to make mistakes and you don't necessarily get arrested. It's college where you're getting to do all of these different things and it's one of the greatest chapters of your life and they are up there with a microphone boring these kids and their parents to death. And I prayed in that moment. I prayed as they read slide after slide after slide. I'm like, dear God, tell me I don't do this to people in my church that I don't flatten the three-dimensional reality of a life with God and reduce it to a bunch of PowerPoint slides about how to get into college. I mean, heaven after you die. I was absolutely amazed how they could take something that's so big and so wonderful and so exciting and they could just reduce it down to a couple of little things. If you were giving that presentation and you're watching this morning, I believe in you, you can make this better. (laughs) And so can I. For you see, 
if we're not careful as followers of Jesus Christ, we've experienced all of the different stories and the information of just Jesus was born and he did ministry and he died and he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and one day he's gonna come back and we can look at all of that as just a bunch of flattened information. When the invitation is so much more. Not that long ago I have a friend who actually experienced the birth of his first grandchild. And he said that because of all that was going on, he wasn't able to be there for the birth. And so he first heard about the birth by getting a text, then he got to see a picture, then he got to see a video. And his heart was enlightened by those things. But he said it wasn't until he got to get on a plane and he got to go into their home and he got to pick up that little granddaughter, which my mother says if she knew that having grandkids were this much fun, she'd have had them first. And when she got to hold that, when he got to hold that little girl, he said all of that information was nothing compared to getting to hold her. Maybe you consider yourself to be a Christian because you know the Christian information. Because of the Holy Spirit, it's more than information. What happens is that God gives you His very presence. So because of the Holy Spirit, information becomes presence, and secondly, emptiness becomes fullness. Because of the Holy Spirit, emptiness becomes fullness. The Bible teaches us all kinds of amazing things about the Spirit, but Jesus is very clear that you don't get to see the Spirit, but you do get to see the impact or the effect of the Spirit in somebody's life. So the Apostle Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And so, well, you may not be able to see the Spirit, you're able to see those things in somebody's life. The Scripture tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There's freedom. And so anytime you get to see freedom at work in somebody's life and in the world, anytime you get to see that, you are seeing the Spirit at work. We know, and as uh, Pastor Dan referred to earlier, that we don't know how to pray as we ought to, but that the very Spirit intercedes with sighs that are too deep for words. Anytime you see people in prayer, that's the Spirit of God that is at work. Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord is is upon me, and so that he came to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives, that he came to give sight to the blind and help the lame to walk. Anytime you see healing, anytime you see people being liberated, anytime you see people who are being given the help from poverty into the fullness of what life is, there, that is the Spirit at work. And so this is not some just transactional thing of information, nor is it just about the strange warmth of your heart of of God being in you. It is when you have the Spirit of God, it overflows into something that is an incredible fullness. The kind of life that many Christians don't anticipate and don't expect is that they think that it's almost like barcode Christianity. 
and that you go from being this status to another status, and there's a certain dimension of that that is true, but there is so much more to it than that. On that Pentecost, we learned that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, that God's presence came within each and every one of them and filled them with that kind of love and joy and peace and freedom and prayer and good news for not just themselves, but for the people around them. Have you invited God to fill you in His Holy Spirit? This is an artist rendering of one of the greatest of evangelists in American history, Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody had a phrase that I absolutely love. He was one time asked why every single time he spoke and every single day he asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And his response was that he asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he leaks. If you and I are not careful, we think of this invitation as a one-time invitation where you invite Jesus into your life. You ought to pray every day for the Holy Spirit to fill you. In fact, I challenge you this week, if you've never made that a regular prayer, just this one week, pray every single day as simply as, come Holy Spirit, fill me Holy Spirit, and then pause and I'll bet you'll notice a difference, not just in your attitude, but in the trajectory of your life and your soul. Because of the Holy Spirit, information becomes presence, emptiness becomes fullness, provincial becomes universal. Did you notice all of the different names? Like when you think of the Pentecost story, it's very compact except for the list of all the different geographies and places. And because we don't know our ancient geography all that well, let me share with you a part of John Stott's commentary where he puts a little color commentary on this. Luke's list, he says, comprises five groupings as he moves with his mind's eye from approximately east to west. First, he mentions the Parthians, the Medes, and the Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. That is, people from the Caspian Sea westwards, many of whom will have been descended from the Jewish exiles who have been transported there in the 8th and 6th centuries before Christ. Secondly, in verse 9 and 10, Luke refers to five areas of what we call Asia Minor or Turkey, namely Cappadocia in the east and Pontus in the north and Asia in the west, Phrygia and Pamphylia in the south. The third group from verse 10 is in North Africa, namely Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene and its chief city. And in the fourth, it's visitors from Rome across the Mediterranean Sea, both Jews and converts to Judaism. And the fifth group that he's talking about, which looks like an afterthought, is the Cretans and the Arabs in verse 11. And then he concludes this, nothing could have demonstrated more clearly than this, the multiracial, multinational, multilingual nature of the kingdom of Christ. This is how Christianity began. Christianity started as the most diverse movement in history. In fact, one of the things that you may not pick up on unless you know your Old Testament well, that parted at the heart of Pentecost is the great reversal of the curse of what happened in this moment in the book of Genesis in chapter 11. 
the reverse of the Tower of Babel, where we tried to make a name for ourselves and we tried to make our way to God and we become confused. And we start speaking in different languages. What happens in Pentecost is all that turns upside down and instead of us getting to heaven, this is heaven coming down to earth and it doesn't destroy all of our cultures because did you notice in the story, we're still speaking all of our own languages but there is a common understanding. I have sat on the ground, on the floor, on the dirt, of a hut in Africa, and I have found more common bond and spirit with somebody who lives halfway around the world who doesn't speak the language I do than sometimes people on my own streets. That what's happening in the explosion of God's spirit is what's something that started as provincial. All different religions were all regionalized. That was your God there, and that's your God for that part of the world, and your God for that part of the world. Christianity exploded, and this says that our God reigns, and that his kingdom is supreme, and he's the Lord of all people. In fact, when Peter starts preaching right after the Pentecost sermon, he draws from the prophet Joel and says this. He says, I will pour out my spirit on what? All people. Just the people you like? No. Just the people you know? Of course not. Just the people who live near you? No way. The promise of the good news of the gospel is that God is pouring his spirit out on all people, all different kinds, every language and tribe and tongue and people. So because of the Holy Spirit, information becomes presence, emptiness becomes fullness, provincial becomes universal, and predictable becomes perplexing. Predictable becomes what? Perplexing. I want to put three words that are key adjectives that talk about what people experienced on that first Pentecost. Bewildered, amazed, and perplexed. When somebody invited you to consider the Christian life, were these the three adjectives that they led with? When they said, we want you to have a relationship with Jesus, and we promise that if you invite him through his spirit into your heart, you're going to be bewildered, amazed, and perplexed. That was not the invitation I received. When I was in my first year of graduate school in seminary, I was hanging out with a variety of different students, some of which were from the university, and they didn't know necessarily all of them that I, a graduate program that I was a part of was the seminary. So they didn't know me from Adam, didn't know that I was a Christian. And offline, one of the university students started witnessing to me, started evangelizing me. And I decided, you know what, this will be fun. Let me play along for a little while. And sure enough, he pulled out the four spiritual laws. Have you ever heard of this four spiritual laws? And I was familiar with the four spiritual laws, but I had never seen the booklet before. And so I'm kind of intrigued. And he first, he talks about that God has a wonderful plan for my life and that he loves me and talks about the separation from God in step two and that the only thing that can separate that, bring us together from that separation was Jesus. And in the fourth step, it was about how 
We each need to make our own decision or commitment in connection to Jesus for this to be effective in our lives. And I'm following along and I'm nodding my head and then we get to the fourth spiritual law and he's got some pictures, that's kind of cool. A diagram of one circle where Jesus is not at the center of your life and a diagram that's another circle where Jesus is at the center of your life. And if Jesus is at the center of your life, everything else looks like nice and tidy and neat and everything fits into place. And if Jesus is not at the center of your life, your circle's a hot mess. And so we get to this point and I said, whoa, back up the bus. I have agreed with everything that you've said, but that picture's wrong. He's like, that picture's not wrong. It's in the booklet. I said, it may be in the booklet, but it's not in the Bible. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, honestly, can you tell me if you went up to Moses and said, if you put God at the center of your life, that your circle's gonna look like this? Does Moses' circle look like this? He goes, no. I said, think about anybody else, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Samuel, David, anybody. Their circles didn't look like this. He thought he had me. He said, yeah, but that was the Old Testament. That was before Jesus. Okay, let's go to the New Testament, I said. Now people are really starting to look at us in the coffee shop. I said, did the Apostle Paul's circle look like this? He got really quiet. I said, did Peter's circle look like this? Crickets. I said, Jesus, Jesus' circle doesn't even look like the Jesus circle that's in here. The invitation is right, but the drawing is wrong, and you cannot invite people into something that is untrue. You need to know, as your pastor, that I am more bewildered, more amazed, more confused, and more perplexed now than when I first became a Christian. And it's wonderful, and it's mysterious, and it's good. If you don't want to have a greater level of mystery and confusion in your life then you don't want anything to do with the spirit of the living God. Because if you want your circle to be just right, that's about your control and idolatry than it is about following the king of the universe. Information becomes presence, emptiness becomes fullness, provincial becomes universal, Predictable becomes perplexing. And finally, fear. Fear becomes faith. The same Peter that you know of in the New Testament, he starts to preach. The immediate response to the gift of the Spirit for Peter is to preach a sermon. The same Peter who was just a common fisherman, the same Peter who wanted to build tents and just stay up on the mountain because he didn't want to go down into the world, the same Peter who was trying to tell Jesus what a Messiah was supposed to be like and that he shouldn't suffer, the same Peter who swore that he would never deny Jesus but denied him not once, not twice, but three times, the same Peter, who went back to fishing after he had seen the risen Christ, because he was so clueless, he didn't know what to do. That same Peter gets up after Pentecost and he starts to preach. And he preaches a sermon that's way better than this one, because he preaches a sermon and over 3,000 people agree to be baptized. That's what Peter did. He went from being afraid to being full of faith. 
I was meeting with a fellow colleague over the last couple of months, and I sat down with him, and we caught up, and he asked me a point-blank question. He said, Richie, you've been hearing about all the pastoral burnout these days? I said, I have. I've been reading about it. He's like, it's awful. I said, it's unprecedented to my knowledge. And he said, so let me ask you a question. Have you fantasized about doing something else? I laughed. I said, I'd be lying to you, especially in the last year and a half. For the first time in my ministry, kind of wondered who I would be, what I would do. I wasn't a pastor. And he said, I think that's perfectly normal. But then he asked, the question is why and why now? Talked around it for a while, but eventually something poured out of me that I wasn't expecting. And what poured out of me is I said, I don't want to give the next 20 years of my life to being a pastor and a part of a church where all we're trying to do is just to preserve what we have. I want to spend the next 20 years of my life watching the Spirit of God at work and changing the community and the love and the gospel doing things that we never imagined. It was a tender moment of vulnerability for me. I'd never said that out loud to anybody. And he leaned into me And he said, Rich, you haven't lost your call. But maybe in the last couple of years, you've been a little afraid. And you're afraid to trust that call. And so, my dear friends, it's time to get to work. It's time for each and every one of us to not just talk about the Spirit, but to live in step with the Spirit. It's time for us to not just talk about doing church, but to be the church. It's time for us to participate in a new Pentecost. It's time for us to rekindle again the wind and the flame of what God is still doing in this world and that He has not let up on for one minute. It's time for us as God's people to be a part of what we refer to as the restoration of all things. It's time for us as a community of His people for us to not reduce all of this to something it was never intended to be and that His Spirit cannot be contained And so because of the Holy Spirit, we believe that information becomes presence, that emptiness becomes fullness, and that provincial becomes universal, that predictable becomes perplexing, and that fear becomes faith. God cannot be confined to a little ring or portion of your life or a little diagram on a page. He's the Spirit of the living God. And it's better than you could ever dream. Let's pray. 
Father, wherever we are in listening or participating in this moment, we pray for your kingdom to come. And we know that your realm and that your reign comes in no greater portion or fashion than that of your own spirit. And so we thank you, God, that you have not only given us a job to do in being witnesses, but that you have given us yourself and entering into our lives. Thank you for the explosive and dangerous nature of your gospel, and forgive us for thinking that that flame can be contained and tamed. Lord, I pray for anybody here who needs more than information. Will you, as the living presence, enter into their hearts? We ask, God, that we will get to hold your presence and cherish it into our own hearts. Lord, I pray for somebody who needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, who's never prayed that prayer. Fill us, Holy Spirit, so that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Thank you, God, for reversing the curse, that we don't have to make a name for ourselves, and that even in the midst of our confusion and our doubt and our fears, that faith can reign supreme. Pour out your Spirit, and we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ and all of God's people. Say, amen.